1966, Time Magazine, they, they did a, a, um, a magazine on, on the future and what the future was going to be like. And, and, and their prediction was that in 2020, life would be, would be great for, for everybody as we, well, I'd say the 2020. In the, in the 21st century, they predicted that uh, machines will producing, be producing so much that everyone in the U.S. will, in effect, be independently wealthy. And their, their estimation was coming into the 21st century is that we would all be making between thirty and $40,000. They're like, Matthew, that's not independently wealthy. Ah, in, in today's dollars, that is around $300,000 that they thought most Americans would be, would be making. That uh, seems outlandish now. Right, that just seems like an outlandish prediction that we're nowhere near that. But uh, think back to your own predictions of, of 2020. Like just go back 10, 11 months, like we came into 2020. I know a lot of uh, churches were, were talking about 2020 vision because we're corny like that, right? Um, and we had these great expectations of what 2020 was going to be like. And we had career plans and we, we had set some New Year's resolutions. And some of you are like, yeah, see, Matthew? That's why I don't set New Year's resolutions. Look what happens. Uh, but even back 12 months to, to go forward now, our, our predictions of this year seem a bit outlandish. Um, 2020 has not turned out like we expected. And today is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is the four Sundays that lead up to, up to Christmas. And in our leadership meeting recently, as we're planning and, and talking about um, future for the church, uh, Maisie suggested that for Advent this year, we call it Sadvent, <laughs> because that, that's just the year in which we've had uh, Sadvent, not a bad title. But Advent is a, a season of the church that goes back 15, 1600 years. Uh, it's morphed and changed over time, and, and the, the universal church celebrates Advent in, in different ways. In fact, some churches don't celebrate Advent at all. And, and there is, you know, there's no biblical imperative to celebrate Advent, but that doesn't mean that it's not helpful for us as a people, informing us into who God wants us to be. And, and Advent just means coming, it means coming. And so around the 6th century, the, the Roman Christians began to uh, celebrate Advent as the coming of Christ. But it wasn't the birth coming. It was the second coming. They were celebrating the coming of, of God's coming judgment, the coming kingdom. Uh, and it wasn't until the Middle Ages, so a thousand years later, that it began to be associated with Christmas and Christ's first coming. And, and so we have different traditions and emphasize different themes. And so in some churches, each, each Sunday is like hope and peace and joy and love. In some churches, it's, it's waiting and accepting, journeying and birthing. Some, some look more at the story of scripture. So we got the patriarchs and then the prophets one week, John the Baptist, it ends with Mary. In some traditions, and we might, we might do this one next year, the weeks are death judgment, heaven, and hell. Those are the, the four weeks of Advent. And all that is to say is that there is incredible beauty and diversity in God's church. And some emphasize the first coming. Others, like if you're from the Episcopal tradition, you're not even supposed to set up Christmas decorations until the 24th. 
Like it's all this, this anticipation, this buildup, this buildup, this longing. Uh, and some of you are like, like, I've already had my decorations up for a month, Matthew. Well, if you're Episcopal, you failed this, this year. Uh, but there's, there's really not like, a, I'd say a right way, a wrong way. But at the Hills Church, we have people from a variety of backgrounds, variety of church traditions, and it's this beautiful tapestry. Or maybe more like a, a, a patchwork a quilt of some sort, but it's our patchwork quilt. Uh, and we, we want to be a faithfully, a faithful local expression of the body of Christ. But we also want to see what God is doing worldwide. We want to place ourselves in God's story because what God is doing and has been doing in history is greater than just the Hills Church. And I'm thankful that uh, we're not just making this up as we go, but we have this rich tradition in the church to lean upon. And so we, we embrace Advent at the Hills Church. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German uh, pastor, teacher, theologian, eventually martyr. And when he was talking about Advent, he said this, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect and who look forward to something greater to come. So he says, only those troubled in soul can truly celebrate Advent. In in other words, welcome everybody to Advent in 2020. Now, we are people of action. Americans, like we don't like to sit still. You compare what, how we take holiday vacations compared to other countries. You compare how we go throughout our, our work week. Like we don't take holiday like they do in England. Uh, we typically don't take siestas uh, like they do in Spain. In, in Italy, they have this, this phrase, and, and I wrote it down. I, I thought about saying it, but I, I want to respect the language, so I'm not going to say it. But basically, the meaning of the phrase is the sweetness of doing nothing and enjoying it. Uh, like we, we struggle as Americans with this, this idea. Like it's, we, just, we pride ourselves on our, our work ethic. Now, I, I enjoy uh, an afternoon power nap from time to time. Just 20, 25 minutes is about, about all I need. And even for me to admit that to you, or like it's, I'm confessing something bad, it gives me a bit of heart palpitations. Like, uh, because I'm, I'm taking a break and it's just not accepted. And at least that's the perception that, that I get. And uh, we, I mean, we are people. We make things happen. And I, I got to be a little honest with you that I take pride in my ability to just keep going to not wait, to not pause, to not be silent. And in fact, I, I grow impatient when I f- feel like others aren't keeping up with me. It's, it's just part of, part of my, my DNA. And, and maybe it's as an American, maybe it's my, my family heritage passed down to me. And so the, the idea of waiting that permeates Advent is foreign to us. Well, it was foreign to us until 2020. Because we have been forced into a season of waiting. We are waiting for schools to open. We are, are waiting for test results. We are waiting for the unemployment office. We're waiting for that job that you applied for to get, get back to you. We are waiting for schools to open. We're waiting for the, the shutdown to end. We're waiting uh, for the number of the hospitalized to lower. We're waiting for Kids to go back to, I might've said that one a few times. We're waiting, right? We're waiting for toilet paper to be in stock. Like this has been the year of waiting. And in fact, 2020, 
I'd say is just one long season of Advent. It is one long season of Advent. Uh, what, are we, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? Our text today is in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. And this is a, a letter written by Peter to Christians in the, in the first century, a few decades after the death and resurrection of Jesus. 2 Peter chapter 3 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire in the earth, and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So the, the bridegroom has been delayed. The, the master is a long time coming, a lot longer than expected. And so Advent, it's this preparation for the second coming of Christ, even as we celebrate the first coming. But Jesus hasn't come yet. I mean, so shouldn't we, I mean, this is 2,000 years later. Shouldn't we just kind of forget about the second coming of Christ and get on about doing the work ourselves? I mean, do, do I really believe that Jesus is coming back? Do, do you believe that Jesus is, is coming back? And, uh, and this, this idea of Jesus returning, it is one of the main tenets of the universal church, Catholic, Protestant, uh, Eastern Orthodox, all, all across the board, all would, would say one, one of the, the main teachings of the New Testament is that Jesus is coming back. It's in our, our creeds, the Nicene Creed. It says, he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. The Apostles' Creed says that he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. The Athanasian Creed says he is seated at the Father's right hand. From there, he will come to judge. He will come to judge the living and the dead. I mean, do, do we believe that Jesus is coming back? And not just to save individual souls one by one in, in some type of spiritual coming, but, but coming to call the entire universe into judgment, coming to bring history as we know it to a close, coming to bring his everlasting kingdom to pass. This is what the New Testament proclaims. This is what the New Testament invites us into, not a private, invisible, spiritualized coming of Christ, but a cosmos, cosmic event that everyone will see, everyone will know when Jesus comes back. And this, this claim is too, is too serious to mess around with. Like, and, if, and if we don't believe it, if, if we don't want to, to lean into it, then we should remove it from our creeds. It doesn't belong there. Now, uh, scholars, they believe that Second Peter, what we read just a moment ago, this, this letter, uh, was the oldest uh, or, or the last written book letter in the New Testament. Of all the writings in the New Testament, Second Peter is likely the oldest. Uh, and and the, the first followers of Jesus, they believe that Jesus was coming back and coming back soon. And these words are important, what, what Peter gives to us, but they're even more important knowing that it wasn't like five years after Jesus had, had ascended into heaven. It wasn't 10 years, but it was probably 30, 35 years later. They're like starting to think, 
Where, where's Jesus? And, and Peter, even uh, just before this, he, he writes, because people are starting to doubt, coming along, and, and, and Peter writes, in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing. Scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Where is this coming he promised? You Christians, you're absurd. And, and these were even people who were saying they were following Jesus, were saying, no, 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 Jesus, Jesus isn't coming. So we just got to get on about the work ourselves. Uh, you are, I mean, if you believe that Jesus is coming back, then you are superstitious. You are, you are gullible to believe such things. Um, so we are, you know, if you're a bit skeptical that Jesus is coming back, and if I'm honest with myself, I look around, I mean, it's been 2,000 years. Like, yeah, like it's a, if someone were to question me and, and put me under the, the bright lights, like, Matthew, do you believe that Jesus is coming back? I mean, it seems, seems too good to be true. It seems too good to be true. But our faith is not built on, on superstition and myth. It's built in real, tangible, flesh and blood history. Peter, at the beginning of the letter, in the first chapter, verse 16, he says, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories. Other translations say myths. We did not follow myths when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And, and this, this helps me trust the story, even in the midst of my doubts. And I hope it does for you as well, that, that the men and the women of the New Testament, they were staking their, their very lives, literally, on this claim that, that Jesus had risen from the dead and that he was going to come back in, in power. And, and if you read the New Testament, you, you get the impression that these are not made-up stories. Like, they don't, they don't read like a myth. They don't read like a legend. There was, there was nothing in, in the first century that is comparable to the New Testament documents uh, to, to anything that was written as um, like a, a fantasy or something that, that was, you know, just kind of supposed to be taken as true, but it was with hyperbole. There's nothing like what we have in, in the New Testament. And, and the more I read the New Testament, the more, the more I trust it. And, it. and if I do trust it, and if you do trust it, then we have been called to enter into a life that is lived in expectation of Christ's coming. We've been called to live a life in expectation of Christ's coming. And so let me, let me read again our original text in 2 Peter chapter 3. But I want to read from a different version. And this time, as I'm reading, I just want you to notice if there's any words that would seem to be in contradiction to one another. Any words that seem to be opposites. So let me read again in verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of persons ought you to be, to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be kindled and dissolved, and the elements will melt with fire? But according to his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So did you catch any words there that uh, might stand in opposition to each other? I mean, in verse 12, it says that we are to wait for the day of the Lord and hasten the day of the Lord. I mean, that seems like a contradiction. Should, should I wait or should I hasten? 
Like how, do, how does that come together? And it's a tension that is perfect for the season of Advent. Because Advent, the Advent season loves tension between light and dark and between waiting and hastening. Now, I don't have time to go into like what it means for us to hasten too much. Um, that's, we don't usually use that, that word too, too often in our English um, in 2020. But what, what does it mean to hasten the day of the Lord? The surrounding verses uh, just before and after this speak of repentance, that God is, is holding off coming because he's giving time for people to repent. He's giving time for me to repent, to get right with God. So God in his mercy has not sent Jesus yet to come a second time. And so there's uh, this idea of repentance, holiness, godliness. And hastening means that we are not sitting back and doing nothing while we wait. We've not been, the waiting that we are to do is not just a passive waiting. It's an, an active waiting. And um, in fact, our, our waiting and our actions while we're waiting are to be signposts to Christ coming to that his kingdom is coming where righteousness dwells. And so we push back against the darkness. We push back against injustice. We push back against unrighteousness in our, in our waiting, in our hastening. And so we, we stand on the threshold of God's kingdom. We are in between his first coming and his second coming. And we live on the, the promise that's been given of his return, but the promise not yet fulfilled. And so we live in this overlap of the ages with Jesus in front of us. His future still approaches his future in which all things will be made new. And so his promise is sure. His promise is true. His promise will come. And so we, we make ready for him. We hasten his coming by, by pointing to his coming by what we do. And so this week in, in your work, in, in your home, in your finances, in your leisure time, in, in the mundane activities of life, as we do those things in faith, as we stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves, as we push back against the darkness, we are signposts pointing to God's coming kingdom. So we, we hasten, but we also wait. We wait. We are called to wait for the coming of Jesus. Now that's interesting. I mean, it's not like we have a choice to wait or not. Right, like if you're in line somewhere and you're waiting, and someone tells you to wait, you're like, "Oh, oh okay, I'll, I'll wait till it's it's my turn." And um, so I think this idea of waiting has more to do with our, our posture and our conduct as we as we wait. Um, so, for example, if one of my kids, if they if they come to me and they ask me for something, and if a a positive response on my part will mean that I have to do something to provide the answer. So they ask, dad, can you do this? And I'm like, okay, but, but wait. And, and this is a, a little different, but, but similar. If this happens in the car often where one of, one of the children's is hungry. And they say, mom, dad, I'm hungry. And, and a slightly passive aggressive response to my child's, my child's, my chillins. Uh, we will oft, often say, I will often say, oh, did, did you bring a snack for yourself? knowing full well, they did not bring a snack for themselves. They have never brought a snack for themselves. And so the answer is, you're going to have to wait. Now they're going to be waiting for the rest of the car ride, but they get to choose the manner in which they wait. 
we have a choice in how we wait. And Advent is the season of waiting. It's the, the season where we're longing for something better. We're longing for our, our hunger to be satisfied. And, and waiting is not for the faint of heart. And I want to share a brief video. Uh, Ryan Eaton, he's part of our, our church, and he has been in the season of waiting. And so here's a little bit of, of his story. Hey, y'all. My name is Ryan Eaton. My wife, Andrea, and I started attending the Hills last summer, and we love it and are so grateful to be a part of this community. Matthew asked me if I'd share a little bit about a season that I've been in for a little while now. It's been a season of professional waiting. In May of uh, 2019, I left a position at a local nonprofit doing fundraising and development. It's a great organization, uh, but my role there had shifted um, into something that didn't allow me to utilize my gifts well, and we had a mutual parting of ways. I didn't know if I wanted to stay in the nonprofit world, and so over the next several months, I was exploring other industries, I was networking a ton, I got a job, a part-time job um, in retail to help pay some bills, I was interviewing, I even made it to the final two candidates two different times, but a job offer never came. And as we all know, uh, rejection is hard and it's embarrassing and it's humbling. I didn't panic, but I did begin to ask why. You know, why are no jobs coming my way? I'm college educated. I have had a successful career in ministry. What's the deal? I almost felt like God owed me a job for some reason, which is kind of ridiculous. I began to worry. And then 2020 hit, and all those worries were uh, exacerbated. You know, this year's been really tough for a lot of people, but it's been especially uh, hard for our family. When COVID hit, uh, all of my job prospects just went away. There were a couple exciting opportunities um, that were no longer there. Uh, networking was impossible and most companies just stopped hiring altogether. I was furloughed from my retail position as well. And then in April, uh, we lost my mom. She'd been battling lung cancer for three years. And here I am, I'm, I'm grieving. I'm freaking out about finding a job and there's a global pandemic going on in the world around me. You know, just one of those things would set anybody's stress level through the roof. And together, all three of them knocked me down hard. I felt like God had abandoned me. I felt like the disciples in the boat with Jesus when the wind and the waves are crashing down all around and they're freaking out and it's just chaos and they look up at the front of the boat and Jesus is sound asleep. It felt like God was sleeping on the job and I was asking him, don't you care? I'm drowning. Um, where are you? And that was kind of the lowest moment uh, in this season. And then, as he always does, uh, over the course of this summer, God uh, kept reminding me again and again of his faithfulness. I began to see a counselor 
uh, to help me process through my grief. Uh, my part-time retail position got bumped up to full-time. And then the most wonderful thing happened that Andrew and I found out that we are going to be parents. And so even in really hard seasons, uh, God still provides. And I'm still looking for a job. I'm still applying like crazy. I still am anxious and wonder when it's going to happen. But the thing that I've learned over these 18 months is that no matter what, God is still on the throne. He is the giver of good gifts. Um, and the greatest gift that he's given has been his son and his grace. And so I am hopeful. Um, and I just can't wait to see what he has in store. Ryan, thanks for your transparency. Uh, thanks for your willingness to share a little bit of what your story, what you're, you're going through. That is, like I, I can't, that's just a long season of waiting. And I hope if uh, others who have watched that and have also been in the seasons of waiting and just a difficult season, that Ryan's words encourage you. Like that, that something, is, something is coming to keep, keep waiting. And if you found yourself waiting in 2020, waiting for a new administration in the White House, waiting for a broken relationship to be restored, waiting for a better job situation, these, these moments of waiting should be a catalyst that, that point us to the return of Christ. They are in miniature what we're hoping for in a grand scheme. It, what I mean is that our lives are filled with these moments of, of longing and then fulfillment, of longing and then fulfillment. And, and anytime we come through a season of waiting, it's a reminder that our deepest longings, what we're still waiting for, will be fulfilled when Christ returns. So let, let these smaller moments of waiting, let them be a, a sign, let them be a remembrance, uh, a point of remembrance for you that something better is coming. Something better is coming. And that our current realities, they're just a shadow. They're just a shadow of what will ultimately be done in Christ. But in the meantime, we wait. And it's, it's not always easy. In the words of the prophet John Mayer, one, one day our generation is going to rule the population. So we keep on waiting. Waiting on the world to change as his song goes. And, and the funny thing is that Mayer is now in his mid-40s and his generation is in power. Nothing's changed. And that is part of Advent to, to look with reality at around us that there has not been, if, if 2020 has taught us anything, is that we have not progressed as far as, as a human race as we thought we had. We look around it and we see the, the hurt and uh, we see the, the racial reckoning in our country and, and we see just the, the rising COVID numbers and, and just the, the polarization. We look around, it's like we, we have not progressed. Despite all our education, despite all of our advancements in technology and science, like there, yes, there's been some progress in, in some things, but as, as a whole, we're still waiting. We're waiting on the world to change. We look and we see systems and governments and then we see the truth in our own lives that we are not yet who we'd hoped we'd be. That we are still ourselves broken 
And so we wait. And all the more earnestly we wait because we see that things are not as they should. Things are not as they should. And, and the beauty of Advent is that it's not just wishful thinking. It's not just wishful thinking. We know it's not wishful thinking because Jesus has already come the first time. He's already entered into our story. He's already taken on flesh and, and bone and he's walked among us, God with us, Emmanuel. And where we fail, Jesus passes the test every time. And where we stumble and fall, Jesus provides redemption and forgiveness And because ultimately, Advent is not about us. Advent's not about us. It's about what God has done in the world through Jesus Christ and what he is going to do in the world through Jesus Christ. One writer said, and I close with this, that the good news of Advent is not that we are faithful in our waiting, but that God is faithful in his coming. It's not that we are faithful in our waiting because we, we get it wrong, but that God is faithful in his coming. And he is still coming. He's still coming into living rooms. He's still coming into hospital rooms. He's still coming to places where we say, Jesus, I need you. And so let's pray. Jesus, we wait in anticipation for your second coming. And I pray that we would live with that reality in our minds, that we would not just go through our day-to-day -day forgetting that, that we are to be a people of your kingdom, that we are to right now be doing those works of righteousness that point to you, point to your coming kingdom. And I pray in our waiting that you would give us hope this Advent season when it is dark when it's just been a brutal year that we would look back to your first coming and that it would give us hope for your second coming and so would you come now would you be present with us once again in your name I pray amen